Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and you're listening to a Waypoint Radio interview. Uh, this week, I'm joined by Layla and Soren Johnson, respectively the CEO and game designer at Mohawk Games. Uh, last summer, they released their unusual 4X Old World on the Epic Store, and this month, they are both releasing it on Steam and an expansion, uh, Heroes of the Aegean. Layla and Soren, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. It's nice to talk to you again. Hi, Rob. It's great to be here. Uh, so I guess, you know, I wanted to start by noting that we're chatting pretty early in the day because we're working around kids' schedules. Uh, and I guess I wanted to ask, like, how are y'all doing? Because uh, it, it sure feels like a lot of parents were counting on COVID to sort of recede and schools being safe and straightforward at some point. But like, you know, I talked to, uh, you know, Patrick, who's the only one of us here at Waypoint uh, with, with kids. And it, it kind of seems like every week is a new negotiation that like the new normal is just like the normal keeps changing. And I'm curious how you, how y'all are finding it and how that's meshing uh, with, with trying to work from home and, and uh, run a studio. Hmm. I mean, it, it was today is much, it's much easier than it was during the peak of COVID and the early days of COVID. Um, it's, there, there's more certainty today than there were a few months ago and last year. So the hardest for us was in the beginning when we were still working <clears throat> on Old World. Uh, we were just about to, to launch on the Epic Game Store and then COVID hit. Um, and we didn't know what to do. Kids were having difficulty online. We're trying to be like their IT support. Kids, the kids would migrate to YouTube instead of the school. So it was just really a nightmare. So t- today is like a gift. They go to school. Um, they're very, they're very good at keeping their masks on. So like we really feel that, oh my gosh, it's a blessing in comparison to the early days of COVID when they were still at home. How do you yeah, think? Yeah. Our, our early access phase for old world kind of matched up almost exactly with the year year or so that the kids were out of school, um, which was just, just a complete blur. You know, normally when people ask me like questions of like, Oh, tell me some of the things that changed during early access. It's always kind of a difficult question in general, just because it's so iterative, but now it's just kind of like, I don't think I even remember. Yeah, we had to press the memory. One day we, followed we, another, <laughs> followed another. And like, yeah, I just, we just know. bought a house. Do you remember? <laughs> yes. We, we, just, just, we were we, moving we just the bought a house that we and, went remote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so oh, yeah, anyway, that's perfect timing, though, because like house prices are not good uh, <laughs> right now. I, I will say that. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone decided they wanted to buy a house all of a sudden. So yeah. we, uh, we got in right before that. Um, and it's that, the house has done very well. <laughs> I will yeah. say that. Actually, the house being in a small town where you can walk around was really good for us because during COVID, we, we didn't have, we don't have family. We don't have anyone. We didn't have a bubble to like a, like a right. social bubble. So it was just really the town. So we just get out of the house and go get our groceries. The kids will wait outside the grocery store, but at least we're just kind of getting, you know, that, that walk that gets us out of the house and breathing a little bit, keep our sanity in check. You know, this is, this is not a new topic. Um, but certainly when I think of a lot of, you know, when I think of like games like Civ, uh, for instance, certainly the experience often tended to be like a game would come out and then there'd be an expansion and, and, that would be that would be it there would be patches uh but you know for, by and large like there was no early access period and post release support followed kind of a different pattern um and i'm curious how you're finding the like life of old world after after its release and whether have there have there been any new lessons uh, you you've had to adjust to? I know you went through some of this with um, Offworld uh, Trading Company, but I'm I'm curious. Like, Old World is such a different kind of game in a genre people think they know well. I'm curious if that's posed any like special challenges. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, we did learn a lot from Offworld, so it wasn't um, really kind of a shock going through the early access experience. And I, I think in a lot of ways, as soon as I saw that early access had become a thing. Like I knew immediately that's how I wanted to develop games because I was, I basically kind of like did the best I could to make Civ 4 kind of a development process like that. Um, you know, we had this um, uh, external testing group, which we had pulled from Civ Fanatics and Napolitan and all the Civ fan communities that was maybe, you know, 200 people. And, you know, we had to physically mail them all a disc and it was like a very complicated process of figuring out a way to, to get them a new patch every two weeks or every mm-hmm. month or, or, or whatever it was. And I remember we had to fight a lot with corporate just for the whole security aspect of like, okay, like you guys are going to ship copies of Civ 4 around the world, like a year and a half before the game comes out. Right. And like, it was, you know, it was a real struggle, but I really think it was one of the like top two or three things that went right about that project that, you know, the game would have never been as in as good shape as it did when it released if we hadn't had that, that process. So, you know, for me, like with the strategy games, you know, just this is this is the very natural way to develop it. And if anything, we've tried to become even more iterative with old world, you know, with off world. We, you know, we did an update every month um, and um, and, then, and then we went to GDC in 2019 where Slay the Spire guys were talking mm-hmm. about Slay the Spire. And they do like an, every two weeks they do an update. And someone's like, aha, I'm going to do this to us. But it's just gonna be every week. <laughs> yeah, it it uh it was it was uh I don't know, funny is the right word for it, but it's not um, funny. The you know, they com- the team complained about the um the friction of releasing an update every month with Offworld, you know, because it's essentially like you're constantly in release mode and, mm-hmm. you know, you would have to lock the branch and, you know, we'd have to do QA and, you know, you have to merge in fixes and whatever. And, you know, uh, you know, Layla and I talked and we determined that the, the best solution was not less frequent patches, but more frequent patches, right? Like if we, if we release every week, then it's not, it becomes less of a big deal, if that makes sense, right? Like it's just, 
part of the cadence of the game, right? Like on on Monday, on Monday, this something you know, like the, this branch automatically gets made, and you know it, it gets it gets loaded, you know, it gets put up on a test branch so that people in our community who want to try it can. And then on Wednesday, if everything is fine, it just goes over to main, and that's just the thing that happens every week. And like the team just doesn't even think about it, you know, because if if something goes wrong, like that, you know, like the the right way to think of it is like, what's the worst that can happen, right? Like if something goes wrong, we can just, you know, roll fix back to the, next, the, yeah. the previous, or yeah, or yeah, more likely just next, fix yeah. it in the next week. Or, you know, oftentimes things that go wrong are really not that big of a deal to begin with. And it's just like, well, the next the next patch will be up, up next Monday, right? And I mean, granted, it takes a very good team to do this. We right. have like a very relaxed team. So we're able to pull it off. It right. was insane. Everybody in the community is like, what? This is insane. But honestly, <laughs> it was just very relaxed um, behind the scenes. People just not freaking out about anything. Yeah. Just, yeah. What I like about weekly updates or, you know, maybe bi-weekly updates if you want to be a little less less stressed about it is that you you don't you don't get out of sync with your community. Like there, mm -hmm. I, there's an experience I've often had in development where you know, I, I make a change or I think I want to mess with something. And then, you know, I, I, you know, adjust this unit or adjust this building or whatever. Um, and then three or four weeks later, because often that comes directly from feedback from the community, like, oh, this feels too strong or this feels too weak or whatever. And then three or four weeks later, you get the same feedback from the community, community. But at that point, you've lost track of like, wait, did I already make that change? Like, are they playing with my, are they playing with the current version of the game or this older version? Like at some point you've, you kind of like, separate into these different realities. And if you're too far away from your community, then there's no point of early access to begin with, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. I, but I am curious, is there a, is there a cost to working like that? Cause it sounds like a very different sort of workflow uh, in, in terms of like having it, having those revisions uh, running constantly and, and always being in that loop. Like, I am curious if there is a thing that becomes harder uh, when you're in that mode. Sure. Um, I mean, the, there must be. I mean, everything in development is a series of, you know, costs and, and, and benefits. Um, you know, the, these are the advantages. I mean, I think the maybe the hard part is it's harder to put in something, some huge new feature, right? Like, because, you know, not everything can be implemented in a week, right? And so yeah. you don't necessarily want to give people something that's like broken or halfway done, Right. So that's, that's a major issue. Um, I, I mean, worry about like, the, I worry about <clears throat> the day we're going to take it away. Like mm. we're not going to be able to do this forever. So at some point we're going to do less of it. And, you know, if you give a community something and they get used to it and then you take it away, this is where we're like, will we have to deal with something or will the community just continue being super cool? Yeah. But no, I, but I think like, Layla, you make a really good point there, which is that <laughs> not to alarm you, but I think that's a very good fear to have uh, because I have you ever seen it interpreted positively when a developer announces they're like slowing down or ceasing a support cadence? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I don't game? think we'll announce it necessarily. We're yeah. just going to say like, oh, it's now every two weeks because I mean, it's two weeks and then it's three weeks. Um 
Because there are less things to test was the main game. And we're starting to create right. DLCs and campaigns and working on other projects and, you know, what have you. So we're going to have, we're not going to just all of a sudden stop updating and stop, you know, fixing. We're just going to roll back to a more relaxed beat so we can focus on the new things that we're working on and, uh, you know, get the team to, uh, to devote their time doing other things. So it, it's going to be gradual, but it's going to be noticeable. So this is for the future. I mean, we've, mm-hmm. we've been blessed having great communities for both off world trading company and old world. So I have to have a little bit more faith in, in, uh, in our community, but I, I am, I am keeping that in mind. Um, yeah, I'll say also that you know if you talk about like sort of the downsides of this, if you're looking of it of it from a like a purely marketing point of view, like we're probably not pursuing the best the best strategy um, because kind of the conventional wisdom is mm-hmm. you want to bundle up all of your changes into these sort of like big major updates which have some like you know top line feature of like you know mm-hmm. transporting units or something like that right that like and then you can change your image on steam and like you know you get you know you might you know if you're lucky you might right. get a few news posts around you know whereas the thing we're doing is you know just this constant evolution you know where the game is slowly changing i really feel like it's it's the best for the long-term health of the game um but you know i think that it's not necessarily the thing that's going to like pull people, you know, do the maximum amount of, of pulling people into the game. I'm curious, like, how you felt about the game's reception. Um, you know, I think if you, I think if you Google, uh, like, old world Crusader Kings meet Civ, uh, <laughs> you will get, like, a million hits uh, right. for that. I'm, I'm curious, like, whether that, like, it's a really reductive uh, take on the game, but also it's a very helpful description uh, of the game. I, I'm curious, like, how the reception and sort of the way uh, maybe in, in, in some ways the game gets pigeonholed, uh, how that, how all that sits with you. And I'm, and I'm really curious, how did people react to the orders thing overall for people who, for people who have not played this game, um, the amount of commands you can give a turn is a resource. Uh, and so like, unlike, most all 4x games strategy games where like they now have a checklist before you can end your turn to do every single thing that's happening in the world like you have a choice to make you can do this or that um (laughs) you went a different road with old world which was uh no you can't do that um you can you can move this troop or you can like uh build a building but you can't but like the amount of things you can do uh per turn is a resource you have to uh, cultivate. And I'm curious, I'm especially curious how that went over. Um, sure. Uh, well, let's tackle the first part, uh, which is that, you know, the whole sort of like Civ crossed with Crusader Kings, um, you know, it, it's a thing. Um, it comes up a lot and, you know, I wouldn't say, I mean, you know, frankly, it was, it was a kind of a bullet point in our pitch docs, right? It's one of the reasons why it was not, it was not that hard to get publisher interest and, uh, you know, get Epic on board. And, you know, people saw the, what they, they understood what we were making, right? Like that's one of the struggles when you're making, when you're making games, right? Like with, with off world, it was like, well, we're making an an RTS without combat. And, you know, that was, (laughs) 
<laughs> it at least piqued people's interest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it wasn't they didn't necessarily immediately understand what game we're making. Um, whereas as this, the way I would phrase it usually is more that like, okay, imagine you're playing Civ, but you're actually Alexander, right? Like every turn you get a year older and eventually you'll die, right? And your kids take over. Um, and then people, you know, then they're like, okay, right, well, I, I, okay. I, that, that makes that makes sense but but you know just that that very you know shortcut of like civ meets crusader kings yeah it's it's probably the first paragraph of every review and you know it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt getting interest in the game so you know i think we've generally been you know it's it's not <laughs> it's not like in our advertising or anything but it's you know it's 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 been a plus for the game um and uh as for the orders i mean yeah like it was the order system was really and the order system predated um, characters at all. Like that was um, really the very first reason to make the game. Um, that uh, you know, like you know, I, when I was done with Civ Four, you know, I really was not ready to work on Four X games again. Um, and uh, you know, it was not for a long time, and I needed some specific reason. And um, you know, when I first had the idea for like the order system, it was, it was, you know, it was just one of those ideas that like immediately I could think of like the 10 different implications for it. And like, okay, this is, this would significantly change the way you could play the game. Right. Because, you know, you know, not only does it solve some of the problems of like, Oh, by the end of the game, you have to do everything. You know, you have to manage all these units. You have to move your workers, whether you care, care about them or not. Um, but you know more on the some of the more positive you know more on the like purely positive side is um you know it's like oh wow like every turn you could you you know a turn in civ you can only play out so many different ways right because every unit only has their range right and so each unit can just move somewhere within their range and but now like with old world um you know, you can decide not to move units and to move other units much farther, and you can spend your turns on all on infrastructure or all on exploring or all on combat or combat in different ways. Um, you know, you can, you know, like have your you know, chariots try to get, you know, flank and get around someone in one turn where that, you know, there's that would be like a long multi-turn process in Civ. Or you cannot do that if it doesn't make sense. You can try it. We have the, you know, we have the undo system, right? So um, you can try multiple different approaches to to combat. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it just it just really broke open the game. So, um, you know, so there is a lot more tactical options now. Um, and just, just something that you couldn't just was just was not possible in Civ. And I'd say that it's been really well received. Like I don't, I, I don't, I, I can't think of anyone really being critical of it. Most people really like it. Um, the, there is kind of an issue with um, some people. Some people get weirded out that units can just move so far, um, and um, you know, it's just it's a little. <laughs> It's a little unsettling. Early on, we had just completely unlimited um, movement so that, you know, you just picked it, you know, you just grabbed a unit and you just move, you know, move, 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 move. You know, you know if you wanted to move the same unit 20 times with 20 orders, you could do that. Um, and I think I think that kind of hit a limit where, um, you know, pe- people felt like there weren't, you know, there weren't some reasonable limits on what they could do or more importantly, like what their opponent can do, which this, this sort of became a bigger issue in kind of in multiplayer. Um, and, you know, I believe that it actually was still 
quote unquote balanced. Um, but we felt like it was kind of useful to at some point tell the player to stop moving their unit, you know, which is where the fatigue system came in. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if anything, just new players, they would sit down and if, if we let them keep moving, they would just keep moving. Right. <laughs> like that could be a problem because then they forget to, you know, they forget to move their workers. They forget to do their other stuff. And so if anything, the fatigue system is just a way to like, say like, okay, you've had, you know, you've done a reasonable amount of movement with this unit. Maybe you might want to go do something else. But of course, you can break that with Force March, and if you want to do something really, really crazy, you can. I, I can talk a little bit about the assets of Old World being received in a way that it's just, you know, like you're just kind of like you make this baby and you send it out in the world, and then this baby just start kind of impressing people, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud. Um, and um, Old World, for example, <laughs> one day I was walking around here, Old Town, and I received an email, of course. Now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm always working, by the way. And my phone is, is the tool I use to not enjoy things I should be enjoying for a longer time. And I look at the email and it's from the British Museum. Somebody saying, I didn't, I didn't recognize the British Museum first. I recognized someone asking me to, to use our art in a virtual tour. Um, and I'm like, sure, but can you please, um, tell me who you are? And when you do use our, uh, our art, um, please credit the artists and people who created the assets. Like, yeah, we're, you know, the British Museum. We want to use this in our virtual tour. I freaked out as I went back to, to the house, showed it to Soren. I was like, oh my gosh. It was really exciting. Um, and then you have the, um, the music we worked with Chris on on the music for Old World. Christopher Tin. Yeah, Christopher Tin. Uh, what did I say? You said Chris. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, Chris is our friend. Our friend Chris. Christopher Tin is someone we work with um, with to create beautiful soundtracks for for Old World. So um, so we worked with Christopher, and then a few weeks ago we won like the best soundtrack for you know like a video game, and like that's another thing where it's just kind of like nice to feel that the little things that we've I don't know if they're little, but the assets that are in Old World individually are also precious, and uh, we've worked hard to get them there. Always good when I'm prefacing, but just so everyone knows, my wife and I are very happily married. But, uh, <laughs> but like, I, I will say, like, sometime in the last year, um, we both started to realize, like, whoa, this this house is starting to get real small, it's starting to feel very tiny in here. Um, and you know that that came down to having to like renegotiate some things around like housework and maybe figuring out like what other like what we could do to uh give each other maybe a little bit more space uh in in a house but but the thing is like the 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 pressures of like kind of like basically once she once it was clear that she was never going back to an office either uh that we were both right. going to be co-located uh and our entire home was in some ways the office like yeah we both have desks but let's not kid ourselves right like the (laughs) the dining room tables the office uh the exercise bike is the office the couch is the everything yeah um yeah we have on you we have have a a very nice unused desk upstairs Yeah, <laughs> where the computer, the laptop's supposed to go. <laughs> well, right, exactly, and well, and that's the other part too, for sure. Is um, well, I don't want to go 
you know, be in some corner of the house. They want to come hang out and be, uh, you know, be down here with you. Uh, but also it means like work mode is always on. But I mentioned that only because in some ways, like I think we probably have it easy. We work in industries that have nothing to do with one another. You know what I mean? Like all we have to do is do our separate jobs, um, you know, in, in our tiny little house. Uh, and we're, you know, except for the inconvenience of both having to share office space and like work around that, uh, there's there's no any extra pressures. Here's the thing I can't actually imagine. If we were both deeply invested in the same not just the same industry, but like the same project, um, like that seems like it seems like something that could be both good, but also a tremendous amount of like pressure as well uh on a relationship and i'm I'm curious like going through this together um like how does how does it all play out uh are there are there times where you wish like man you know would be great is if we if we were married and we didn't work together i'm just i'm just curious uh like where where things stand with this Mm, i feel like old world brought us even closer. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yeah, for sure. Um, back in the day, I used to work for the State Department when Off-World Trading Company was launched on early access. And I remember coming home and to transition, I'd play Off-World every day and uh, stream it because I didn't like Soren hovering over my head telling me what to do. So the community tells me what to do. And that's how the community for Offworld was created, uh, by accident, uh, because, you know, I just didn't want Soren to tell me, build solar panels, because I didn't, I thought that he's playing the game, you know, through me, and I mm-hmm. hated that. So, um, so I'd play with the community, and we'd start talking about game design at home on the weekend together. And it was like great days, right? Mm-hmm. It was like so yeah. much fun. I had another job. I didn't think that I was basically a game designer for off-world trading company. You know, it was just so casual and, and I felt very strongly about the game design because that's like my, my game. That's the game I play every, I still play the game today. Years later, I, I love the game. It's just the game that gives me so much agency. And if I mess it up, it's all on me, really. Like it's just the best game. Anyway, fast forward. I came, I came to, to be part of Mohawk Games out of necessity. We lost a publisher and then, you know, we started pitching to get a new deal and we got a new deal. Now we've got to build the team and uh, we got to hire a whole lot of people and we were unsuccessful hiring a writer. So I volunteered to write just so we have something. It wasn't like, oh, Layla is a brilliant writer. I'm not a brilliant writer. I'm just going to write stuff because I understand the core of what Soren wants to create. And I understand, I mean, I studied journalism and uh, the political science and communication. So for me, it was more like, okay, I'll, I'll write until we find someone who can write better. And we start, I started writing and creating plots and, you know, um, creating the bios for the, for the leaders. And all of this time, I didn't really think I am a game designer or a narrative designer. I, you know, like I didn't think like that. And then we couldn't hire an art director. So I started art directing. Um, and we couldn't, we, I didn't 
know that we need a producer. So I was the producer. I introduced Jira and other systems and we started having meetings and checking on what others are doing all the time, hiring people for departments and working on the music. I had no idea what my job title is. And I'll tell you this, Rob, it hit me this GDC. We went to GDC and someone from, from the games industry goes, so how does it feel that you're a game designer? I'm like, no, no, I'm not a game designer. <laughs> and this is the imposter syndrome because I don't want anyone to, to find me out. I'm a total imposter. I've never drawn anything. I'm t- terrible. I can't draw anything to save my life. You know, I play an instrument poorly. I don't know how I, I guided this whole thing. And, uh, I'm not a great writer. And so I'm like afraid of people knowing what I've done for old world because you know what? I'm an imposter. I come from a whole different world. So I don't know. It felt that this with Soren creating this type of the, this type of project for me was a very thrilling, exciting journey. It allowed us to talk about a whole lot of things. Uh, it brought us closer together. Um, it's fun. I kind of like our date night now. Uh, no, no, I like it. We escape it. Because we get to talk about work that we don't get to talk about while we're running different things throughout the day. He's doing all sorts of like engineering tasks. Oh, by the way, I had him spied on. I had my assistant, uh, sorry, associate producer spy on Soren to see where he spends the bulk of his time on things we don't want him to spend the time on. We realize that he's checking all sorts of community feedback and, you know, like we want him to start prototyping two projects at the same time. So um, we kind of like came and said, hey, Soren, you're going to need to cut down on Discord time. Um, we're going to bring the information to you. We have people from the community who are designers now on the team. They'll tell you if there's something, a fire you need to put out. And, uh, you know, kind of, I trimmed the fat, like Soren doesn't have to worry about dealing with things that have to do with licensing and operations and HR and payroll. And, you know, just doesn't have to worry about anything, but just making games um, yeah, or uh, I mean, this is indie dev development, right? You just you have, you have you have to pick up the skills as you go and just you know do whatever you need to do. And uh, fortunately, like Layla and I are pretty complementary in that um, you know the stuff that I mean, the stuff like the the writing and the art and music, you know, that's sort of like a natural thing for her to jump on. But she's also picked up you know a lot of the business and operation stuff and uh, things that that you know I wasn't particularly good at or. Necessarily not that I wanted to do. It's just I, I the ideal situation is if I can spend as much of my time programming and designing as possible. Um, and so her coming on board really enabled that. And for the most part, since we're not <clears throat> trying to do the same types of things, like it, it fits together really well. Um, we argue less about game design ideas because, well, the game is finished now. So we can argue in the future for the new project. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it does with the, the, new, the new projects. Um, we'll see. <laughs> but uh but yeah it's you know um i mean it's it's we're we're selling a very rosy picture i'm sure that it's um i think we've we've had to learn that that we do need the hard part i think is that we do need our own space some and we don't get that na- naturally as you do from work right like this is just you know you know she used to go to the state department and i used to go up to mohawk and 
you know, when we'd see each other at night, that was a very different experience than it is now. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember a couple of instances where I was really suffering from burnout. I just didn't know it. <clears throat> and where Soren would come to me and say, hey, we got this email. And I'm like, not now. I'm just taking 10 minute break in the bathroom with a locked door. <laughs> I just need some peace because it's COVID. The kids are around, right? You yeah. know, like, where do you go? If I go to my bedroom, they follow me there. So I go to the bathroom and then it's Soren, really, not the kids. <laughs> It's like, hey, Layla, did you see this email? I'm like, no. Yeah. He goes, well, let me read it for you. It's, and I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm taking some time yeah, just yeah. for myself. It's Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be in the bathroom alone. <laughs> I think we got to be more, I think, I think we've learned to be more blunt and honest with each other yeah. about things. And like, you know, in the past, you know, anytime you might say like, oh, I need some time on your own in a relationship, then that's a natural opportunity for the other person to be like, oh, did I, did I do oh, something yeah. wrong? Or, time know. to spiral. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> time to spiral. Like, you know, like I need some time on my own, right? Like that is like the beginning of a of a long path. But like like no, that's just that's that's life. We're we're humans and we're gonna need time yeah. on our own and we don't get that. We don't even you know, even there's even aspects of the commute that like, you know, you I wouldn't say I miss, but they're like, you know, little bits of my you know, that kind of time where your mind mm-hmm. just kinda of like winds down. It hurts more when when you're picky. Like I'm picky with the kids in the sense of like I don't want them to eat out or like, you know, just get like burgers and McDonald's and fries. And I, I want them to actually I'm Lebanese, so I want them to eat homemade food. And Soren doesn't cook. So that was really hard because here we are. We are literally hiring a whole team to create old world. Um, we've gone remote. There's COVID. The children at home. We just bought a house and our game is shipping like that year. It's going to go on early access and then we're going to need to kind of launch it on uh, like fully on the, the few months later. So it was super stressful. And to make it worse, I just don't like the kids to kind of have like, you know, food from somewhere else. What worked is I taught Soren how to cook, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. Um, Now he can make sophisticated meals. It's not like he just knows how to peel potatoes and, you know, boil them. Like he actually makes meals with sides and uh, it's kind of really nice. Like that's a... Trust me to cook your food. (laughs) Yeah, I trust him to cook my food sometimes. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's certainly been the, um, we could not figure out how to make it work uh, with, with the cooking specifically is the thing. Cause yeah, like about, maybe you noticed from the start, it actually took me a while to realize that it's real easy to order all kinds of like really carb heavy, bready, um, mm-hmm. like treats basically. Uh, it's really hard to find places that like deliver more, not, I don't want to say healthy, but like, I don't know, like more, like a more complete meal, uh, more nutrient rich. Like that gets really hard. Like you can always get a a box salad from a place, but there also comes a point where you're like, I can't confront iceberg lettuce with some feta, uh, (laughs) like just (laughs) tossed over it. I can't do it anymore. Uh, and so that's, that's the thing we're still trying to navigate is, um, you know, where do we, where, where do we get like more, more wholesome meals? Cause we just, we do not have, um, the space to, uh, to, to cook. Um, so I think we're right now we're being held aloft by uh, a really good Szechuan restaurant, uh, in the area, but yeah, mm-hmm. like left to our own devices. Uh, it, it, there was like a solid three months. We realized like, man, uh, it's all like 
fried food or like yep. something on some form of bread. Yeah, when we order out, it's tough for me because I'm always just, my mind still goes into I'm in treat mode, you know, like, yep. you know, you, you order the meal and they're like, so would you like the house salad or the fries? And it's just, uh, yep. uh, oh, the fries. <laughs> 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 I've never once in my life ordered the house salad. <laughs> the house salad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, all the, all the stuff that like Layla started doing, um, and sort of the the shift into being a larger and larger part of this, uh, and I do do know like at some point like you know Layla is is now running running the company and and Soren I think I saw you talk about like that you ended up you came away feeling like you were not actually a very good company runner, right. um, and we're we're really glad uh, to not be the person responsible for that, uh, and and I'm just curious like. What were the what were the things that made you realize like you were not up for this? Uh and what were sort of that I'm and I'm curious if you if you both had some realizations um after Layla took over about like things that just hadn't been running correctly that you hadn't noticed before. Sure. Well um I mean Layla's very, very good with people, like both in terms of like, you know, reading them and kind of like understanding what they need and where they're coming from. And, you know, I um I get stuck in a mode where when I get obsessed with a game design, which is usually in the middle of a project when things are most stressful. Um, like I, I, and this is, this is like a, like a personal problem that I have to figure out how to, how to get better at. But like, I kind of feel like everything that, that claws away from my ability to make progress on that, you know, like kind of feels it, it, I don't know. It becomes essentially like, an irritation or something like it's hard like to I don't want to put it that way but that's kind of like essentially how how it comes across which is not what you need in in a leader because a, a company is a team of of individuals who all have their own places they're coming from and and, and their you know their you know you know their own issues and, and so on and so I you know I was not doing a really good job of of shepherding that you know and seeing what was you know what was going on you know what what where the team was what they're needing what they're expecting from me um and and so on um and you know i'm i'm a bit of a um you know i'm kind of like the ultimate bottleneck for our games because um you know i do the i do the design but i also do the, the programming of that design right so you know everything you know everything about kind of the direction a game goes design wise has to go through me. And if I'm not, if I'm not doing that development, the game is just kind of like standing still design wise. And so, um, it's, uh, it, I think it was important to both get to me in a place where I could just focus on that because there are, there are huge advantages to having the designer being able to do to the development because you can move really quickly if everything's in the right place. But there's just no way that I could do that and also, you know, lead a company at the same time. He's conflict averse. Um, it's like very clear. And when you're, when you're dealing with a group of people, at some point there's going to be conflict. Um, and you're going to have to know how to do it. I'm not saying I am, I'm great at it. I'm saying I'm just better out of the two of us. Um, I, I can't look the other way. Uh, because it's a responsibility. You know, we are in charge. It was hard for me not to be in a position where I could do something. And looking at Soren, we did hit like some very, very rough time. 
And it's basically just me watching some terrible things being said and done at the company and Soren just staring at them, unable to, to do anything. It was hard. It was disappointing. It was, it was tough because one of my favorite people is Soren. And it's not like because I'm married to him or whatever. It, no, it's just really he's a good guy. <laughs> He's a genuinely very, very good person. And because he's good, he sometimes gets taken advantage of in very unfair ways. So it's hard. But out of the two of us, I'm I'm the one who can. I'm sure there are great leaders out there of companies. Um, I follow a few of them. I read about them. I see how they've dealt with particular issues. And I just take notes so I can always improve leading my team. Um, I also have an amazing team. They're very, very easy currently and just amazing. In two years, we haven't had a lost beat or an issue or I'm very grateful to have the team we have. We're about to meet a lot of them for the very first time. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> we're flying exciting. everyone in um, and we're going to finally meet them in real life. Yeah. Without it, frames or yep. screens. These are including people that I've known of. I've known them online for 20 years, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, once the, the upside of the pandemic really it really changed the way we thought how a company could be structured, right? Like at this point, I think we have one employee who still works in Maryland, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is pretty crazy since we were originally a Maryland-based company. Now we have, you know, employees all around the world and you know Australia and Sweden. Are y'all still Turk- in the Maryland area? Uh, we're in Virginia. Okay. Um, so we're Maryland-ish. Maryland adjacent. No, we're not. <laughs> we're we're in a different... So we're in Virginia, yeah. so we're at least like 45 minutes away from Maryland at this point. Yeah. Um, but there's no center anymore, right? People right. are just all all over. And um, But that's really been amazing because when it... Before, I, I had this... I guess prejudice, you know, like when you're looking to hire someone, it's like, well, we have to find someone local. We have to find someone who's who's nearby. Um, and um, and I said no, right? <laughs> no, really, that's yeah. What well, I, I mean, like, nope. Well, once the <laughs> pandemic happened, it was it was like it was not even worth considering. So, um, you know, like uh, it meant that we could hire not just the best person for the job, but also. You know, I mean, frankly, that's that's ridiculous. Like the to, to even to say because what what it means to hire the best person for the job in game development is to hire someone who know who who has the skills, but is super passionate about the game you're making and the type of game you know the type of game you're making and and even better the exact game you're making, which is now something we can do, right? Yeah. Because it when was we, when we were building the team when we got a deal with the Epic Game Store. Um, it was very important we find the best fit in every way, like the culture we want to create, um, the type of game we want to make, um, and really find the best fit also in talent. Um, and, and we were able to do it. So if you, um, put yourself in just a, a zip code, you're restricted to that zip code. But then when you open up to the whole entire world and you kind of build ways where everyone can log in, because we did have a couple of people at that point who were fully remote. We've never met them. I've never seen them. So we've proved that we're able to continue having a, you know, a good working relationship with people who do not work physically at, at, uh, at the headquarters. So I'm like, you know what? I'm no longer limiting myself to a zip code. I'm I'm changing how we're going to be doing things. Um, so this this reminds me of something where you know because because there's so many stories about like 
game development under COVID and moving everything to remote is very, very hard. It caused a lot of chaos and projects. But I asked a friend of mine who, um, you know, used to be like senior QA and is now a game designer. He's been a game designer for years, worked a bunch of places. I asked him what he thought about that. And he was like, no, actually, he's like the shift to remote exposed a lot of people who are not actually very good at managing teams. And unfortunately, most of the industry is not very good at managing teams, but but he's like, it's not actually like he's like people selling you that like remote is some huge obstacle to good game design and and having a good studio. He's like his his feeling is like they're kind of telling on themselves because like it actually makes a ton of sense to to move to this model. Um, and there are a ton of ways to coordinate work and, and, and share assets uh, remotely. The question is, like, why hasn't the move happened sooner? And, and what really are people struggling with? And I thought that was kind of interesting because, like, I, you know, I think the party line in a lot of places was COVID threw everything in the chaos, which is true. And then also and developing with these constraints is uh, a nightmare. Yep. And that part of always kind of wondered about. Um because yeah. like there's, there, there seems to be a lot of upside, particularly that thing where like you can get talent from anywhere. Yeah, the, and there's a lot of upside for teams like us, which are we're still fairly small. Like I'm kind of curious how how things work up at Ubisoft, you know, whereas like the thousand person battleship teams, yeah. you know, like it's kind of hard to imagine them just being all over the place. But um, you know, I don't know. I don't. I didn't understand how those teams work to begin with. So I, <laughs> I don't. You know, I don't. I still don't understand how they would work. Well, you'd argue they work. They work remotely too, except they work in different battleships around the world. Sure. Right? Yeah, that's like, true. That's that's absolutely true. I mean, they must. They must have solved some of these hard problems just to, to function at all, right? Um, and yeah, it's interesting to see that the transition. Like I saw Bungie recently announced, like, hey, we're hiring anywhere. Right, but it actually didn't mean anywhere. We're like we're we're hiring remotely, and then they put this this really weird map of like these are the states you can live in, right? And it was like yeah, it was you like know Texas, Texas, Seattle, California, North Carolina, blah Washington blah blah, yeah, state, yeah. And apparently, it had a lot to do with labor laws of the different states. Of Yo. Like, yep, yep. Some states it's like super hard to pull this off, and some states it isn't, and. Um, and it's like, wow, we're not we're not there yet. You know, like the world is 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 going to take a while to catch up to figure out how to how to like make make this stuff work, you know. And if anything, it's easier for a company like us because, you know, we're I mean, a lot of the people we work with are, you know, contractors. Right. Uh, especially, you know, people out, outside of the country. Um, and, you know, you know, we scaled up pretty high when we were shipping. Uh, but, you know, then we we scaled back down again, you know, and so yeah, when we ship. Right. Right. And We're about to scale back up. Um, right. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're like a company like Bungie, where presumably you're hiring a lot of people permanently, it, it becomes, you know, a, a lot more challenging. Um, but yeah, like I think that uh, I will definitely speak from experience that there's a lot of time spent in game development companies where they were in the office that was not spent on game development. Yeah. Like I can, <laughs> I can attest yeah. to that for a fact. I can remember Soren telling me like, after a long day of work and him coming back, like the team today for the probably the hundredth day in a row talking about Marvel for three hours in a space that's a garage that are no doors. So I cannot lock a door. And he's in like in a bad mood. It's like, Hey, you know, what's up? <laughs> he's like, Oh, everyone's talking about Marvel. Um, and, uh, for three hours and I can't close the door. I feel like I didn't get any work done and I need to like f- fix few things. And, you know, like, 
it's just <laughs> yeah there's this flip side to like the, the 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 crunch conversation of like how um of like how um <laughs> how many teams get in trouble where they have to crunch so much at the end of the project which which is which is bad like we you know we're explicit with our employees like we don't we don't want them to crunch like we want you know we, the project will progress however fast it progresses right um but like a big part of the problem is that a lot of what people do during regular business work is not really work you know right. like i i've i've i don't know how many teams i've seen where people roll in at 10 10 30 and like oh it's let's you know it's <laughs> what are we doing for lunch? it's time to go to lunch yeah. and like oh you know we're back at 1 30 and like oh i got the after after lunch blues and like oh maybe between <laughs> three and five I actually get some work done and like i've just seen that over and over again with with game development teams like it's it's ridiculous because it's it's a semi-professional environment you know it's like it's a bunch of people doing stuff they love and you know you're making video games and like it it, it, it it's rare to find like a person who has uh what's the right term for that dedication um, but you know, just has like the, the, the commitment to like use their work time for work so that when they're done, they can, they can step away from it. <clears throat> I actually wanted to follow up about something earlier. Cause just regarding, um, sort of running a good, healthy company culture. Um, mm-hmm. and like, actually the thing that interested me was like how clear, t- clear to you it was what the issues were when it was Soren running things. And it, w- it was very clear. But it was like, very, very clear. But this is the thing, right? This because this is the this is the question for me is like I always found it I always found my vision clearest when like all I could really do is observe at a distance because like okay, well, like these are this is my manager, this is their team. I can sort of see these dynamics. The minute I sort of stepped into the role as like, okay, now you're like leadership of a team. That perspective got a lot murkier. I couldn't see things as clearly because now my perspective was different and it was more proactive. And like, I'm kind of curious, like for for you, when you sort of see what these issues are, I imagine like maybe Soren, it's tough because like this is a team he built. Some of these maybe are people that he's known for a while um, and, and hasn't addressed these issues in their relationship. I'm curious, how do you make sure that like now that it's more your team and it is a culture that you've built? How do you make sure that your vision is still clear? How do you how do you work to make sure that like now that as the person in charge, there's not issues festering that you can't see because now, you know, you know what I mean? Because because now you're sort of running it. Right. Um, Well, it's a very good question. Um, I guess I, I will have to. We haven't yet had a issue that, you know, kind of go I can go back to. And say, oh, you know, this is an issue that, that escaped me or something like this or, you know, sneaked up on us or, um, I don't know if it's just really my team at this point. I feel like the team is way closer <clears throat> to Soren in some respect. Like, you know, they talk more about like the core game design. Um, and they're closer to me in a different aspect because if there is any issue, something's happening on a personal level, we, like we have an anti-crunch policy and mm-hmm. we have a code of conduct where family comes first. And if you need to take off for whatever reason, just please talk to us. Like it's very important. And, and we mean it. Like we really mean it. So people come to us with, Hey, you know, listen, this is what's going on at home. I don't know. I'm just not going to be my full 100% in the next couple of weeks. And <clears throat> so they come to me for that. Right. So I don't feel like they're my team necessarily. Let's say they are our team, 
It feels mm-hmm. very, very nice to kind of work with people where everyone is empathetic and, you know, like cares about their teammates. Um, it was hard earlier. Like it was hard when we lost the publisher. A, a year prior to that, someone flew with us when we were. <clears throat> and I saw that there's an issue, but I thought that the issue was with one person. Um, and the issue was that person was telling me, uh, why don't you quit your job at the state department and move up there so Soren doesn't have to commute? And the reason Soren was commuting is because he doesn't want that team, the previous team, to commute because they all lived in Northern Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a job with the state department. I had a career with the state department and we bought a house. So when they call us from school for the kids, we're close. One of us is. That's me. And Soren chose to start his company all the way in Northern Maryland for the team. Mm-hmm. And now this person's telling me, quit your job. My wife did it for me. And mm. I find I, I I didn't recognize it as sexist right off the bat because again, I grew up in Lebanon. This is like almost always how people expect things from women. This is always the the narrative. To me, it was like uh, an hour-long conversation telling him why my job is important. I was an idiot. If I go back in time, I'd be, you're sexist. You need to end this conversation. But then the Me Too movement didn't happen. I just got back from Lebanon. I had a radio show. I had the twins over there. You know, like, I'm, I am I just spent a whole hour defending myself. And then yeah. I just avoided the company at all costs after that. Like, meetings, parties, uh, you know, I just felt I'm not welcome, but I didn't know why. Like, I don't see them. There's no, there's, there, there aren't any crossed paths. Like, why would they hate on, on Soren's wife if they don't really see her? It was just something that was bizarre. Now multiply that by 10, 12. This is the culture we had. And I didn't know whether our marriage is going to survive it. Like, I was so heartbroken because I saw, I saw the level of, of um i don't know what you call it sexism and, and privilege yeah hostility and not just that they put it in writing and then we're contemplating doing something about it so we send it to an officer in the in the on the team and we're like hey look at this email this is kind of terrible and the officer on the team's like hey was this xenophobic yes i literally have that email was this xenophobic yes was this sexist yes was this racist yes but do we have to fire him for it? I think. Or more, should we do anything about it? Should we do anything about it? No. So, I'm I'm not saying just take this and make your own conclusion because mm-hmm. we now know that if some employee of yours, one employee of yours, is xenophobic, sexist, and racist, what do you do now? Right, you don't tell the person that they're being xenophobic against and racist and sexist against to put up with it. And that's what the team was asking me to do. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, I have it in, in, you know, sad, sad and lucky for me, I have it in writing. Yeah. So that's what we don't have anymore, which was killing the spirit of the team, the productivity. Um, And since 2018, we've changed almost everything. And, you know, I still have scars. I still have uh, PTSD, right? 
Um, and I'm, you know, slowly healing from all of this because I didn't focus on myself right afterwards. I mean, we're talking about the period of time when we lost a publisher, we needed a new publisher, we just moved and then COVID mm-hmm. happened and we launched Old World. So I didn't have time to heal. And of course I suffered from burnout because, you know, I was working, you know, 90 hours a week. So, um, so I'm in a place now where Old World is doing very well. The team is very healthy. We're about to see them. I just, I'm slowly recovering from GDC and it's April. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that I'm healing now. So this is the time for me to kind of like go on walks, uh, listen to silly shows um, and laugh and kind of, you know, take it a little bit, uh, roll it back to like 40, 50 hour weeks. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, uh, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more with uh, Leyland Soren about their background. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So I did want to go back to, like, you know, you mentioned that you sort of got into this, um, Layla, that you sort of got into this, uh, in particular, like as a, like coming back from the State Department, needing to decompress and like transition out of work mode. And obviously, eventually, you transitioned out of the State Department uh, entirely. But but I'm kind of curious about that, right? Like, I you know, the Foreign Service uh, for a lot of people is an incredibly like prestigious life career goal, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm I'm kind of intrigued by the way it sounds like you really kind of needed to mentally get away from it uh when when you were coming home mm-hmm. uh and i'm i'm, I'm kind of curious about like the just the arc of your career and and why eventually you decided you you didn't want to do that uh anymore oh man um i will say it i'll say it in a different different way rob like the games industry has a higher chance of getting out of like um unhealthy work environment than government institutions. Um, I think they are the last to take action. And when they do take action, it's a very long process. So, um, so I worked in the Middle East department at the Foreign Service Institute. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, when you work in the Middle East department, you're surrounded by people from different parts of the, you know, Middle East and, some people, you know, um, you need that in the State Department. You need people who train diplomats come from the actual countries so they can give them the, um, the political module, the language module, all sorts of, you know, like things that the diplomats need. However, some people bring culture with them. They bring things from, from the culture that are unhealthy and some bring things from the culture that are very, very healthy. Like there's a lot of color and, um, and influence. So, um, so the men in the department, oh, there was this one particular supervisor who had seven cases of sexual assault and harassment. 
And he was still in the State Department and uh, harassing other women. And people from the department, other men in the department, had other cases of sexual harassment and assault. And and before the Me Too movement, I, I mean, I see women crying in bathrooms in their office. And it's just, it was horrible. So, um... So during, during my employment there, before the Me Too movement, so you can just understand how foolish I am, um, I went to upper management when mm-hmm. I saw that a woman ambassador was appointed to our department. I'm like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm glad she's a woman. And then her director, um, the one in charge of our department was also a woman. I'm like, that's it. They are new. They don't have anyone in the department that they know yet. So they have no reason not to believe what I'm going to say to them. So I went to them, presented all the cases that in front of them, like what's been happening, the discrimination, how the workload on women is different, the sexual harassment, the sexual assault that happened. And I told the woman ambassador about this. And then she sent me to the director and I talked to her. And they were, they were terrified. So they said, you know what? We're going to hold a town hall meeting without mm. the supervisors so people can talk freely. Of course, no one's going to talk freely. They don't want to lose their jobs. Right. So I'm like, I'm brave enough. I, I raised my hand and I shared my experience first. I was prepared. I shared the points very clearly. And then I opened, it opened up the whole room. A week later, I was fired. One week, I was gone. And, you've, been, uh, you've been with the Foreign Service how long by this point? Uh, 14, 15, 16, so probably three years. Okay. Um, so um, I went and filed a, um, a, a claim with the EEOC. That's mm-hmm. the Equal Employment Agency. And, uh, and then the Me Too movement, so that was May... In August, the Me Too movement kicked off with the Harvey Weinstein thing. Mm-hmm. So they offered me my job back with a 33% increase in salary. It's just like, shut up. And I didn't shut up. I continued talking about things. In fact, once they tell you to leave, you have no longer access to any email. Like they just, you're just cut off. You don't have the right to, to anything. Right. So if there's evidence, you can't really get it until the lawyer kicks in and it's like four years down the road. I came to find out. It's a very, very important time to hold this podcast, but I'll tell you why in a second. So I was hired back in the State Department. I continued talking, which also they didn't, they didn't like that. And my case with the State Department just came to settlement. Like we just, we, I can't talk about the settlement, yeah. but it, it was, Finally, after since 2016 till today, I was still in court battling. We didn't even get to court. It was just pre-court. All of this was pre-court. And it's insane because I can afford it. Like legal fees are what? $180,000? Who who works at the State Department can afford after being sexually assaulted for five years to have a lawsuit against the State Department for something that a supervisor did to them. It could go all the way to rape, by the way. Mm -hmm. And this is how long it takes. This is how much time. This is how much money it takes to get anywhere. Finally, you know, I get settlement and, you know, phew, it's behind me. But what what all of this to say is 
it's an unhealthy work environment. However, in the games industry, you think you see things being done much faster. This, the games industry is relatively new, but we do things faster in the games industry. And the State Department is supposed to be somewhere that's, you know, healthy and universal and cultural and, you know, international. These things shouldn't happen, but they do. And they actually make it much harder for the victim to get to a place that's safe for them, that is just for them. And all of this is because I actually recorded the the people who were harassing me. The only thing, don't you agree? Yeah, without the recording, like you'd be. I looked up the state laws in Virginia, and I realized I can actually record the person who's bullying and harassing me directly and threatening me with my job security. Yeah, it's not right. Yeah, Yeah. that's the only thing that made a difference. Can you imagine all the cases that do not get there? And we pay about a billion dollars a year in sexual harassment discrimination. You know, um, and at the EEOC, this is how much it costs the country so they yeah. can keep the people in their jobs and fire the victims. It's heart wrenching. It's heartbreaking. But are that's the, a conversation for a different day. <laughs> are the people that you knew were, were bad actors and abusers there? Are they mostly still there? Yeah. 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 That guy, that supervisor I told you about, he, he yeah. didn't just like harass them. He assaulted them. You know, there's, it's, it's actually public, publicly there. It's, I can share, I can share, whoever wants, whoever's listening wants to know about that guy. He took his thing out at the office on the, on a desk with a woman sitting. Like, it's not just small things. It's a huge thing. And they allowed him to retire much, much later, like than his retirement age. The guy who sexually assaulted me. Mm Mm-hmm. By the time, like from May to August, between May and August, he assaulted another woman. He went to the office and just just in that period of three months, and he's still there. And when he gets promoted, people text me, even though I'm not working there. It's like, oh my gosh, now he's running the training. I can't Jesus believe this Christ. department. It's like, you know, I, I it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I was foolish. Um, if I go back in time, do I raise my hand and say something? Knowing what I've gone through for the five years after, it's debatable. That's the yeah. sad part. Do I want to be taken away from my kids and be like absolutely drenched in depression when I was working at the State Department? No. What should I have done? I should have left and worked somewhere else sooner. I, yeah. you know, yeah. That's that's the lesson I've learned. But I don't want to take this up. I've already done that already. Uh, somewhere yeah. it's dark. Uh, the respite, the place I loved being was Off-World Trading Company. I yeah. loved coming home and just kind of choose my headquarters. And if I remember correctly, back then it was the scientific HQ that I just kind of like had a fascination with the most. I no longer do that because now when I play with Soren and we're playing on, on uh, like, what is the mode? Um, masquerade, I think. You mean where you can't tell who's... You can't tell. Incognito. Mm. Yeah, Masquerade. Yeah. Oh, um, so, if it, like, well, if yeah. you keep picking, if you keep picking the science, yes. you be Yeah, he knows yeah. which one I am. You can tell, oh, it must be you. Like, ah, yeah. Ding. So yeah. I had to learn how to play um, defensively by choosing something that he can't recognize that it's me. Um, and get better at different things in off-world trading company to make it harder for him to win. I can 
say that with Soren, it's not hard to win, but with the community, it's <laughs> not the case. They're so much better. Ouch. There are so much better. <laughs> Remember but, the beat Soren achievement? Yes, yes. And then avenge Soren. Avenge Soren. Beat somebody who's beaten Soren. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. that one. Yeah, it's so much fun. I love Off World Trading Company. Uh, it is it is a great game. I have a lot of I have a huge soft spot for it, and it's really well like the game never outstays its welcome. Um, which is a if if you're in a bad game, it'll be over before too long. And right. if, you, if uh, and if you're a good one, uh, you'll you'll get you you'll get to the end, uh, and you'll still feel like you you accomplished something. Uh, you know, it's a game I, I really enjoy. Um, so one other thing I'm like I'm curious about, and I know we we talked about this a bit in the past, but like, um, you know, you mentioned being from uh being from Lebanon, uh, and just in terms of like sort of the 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 pressures uh you had to deal with at work, but but I think something else that kind of like interests me a bit is I'm I'm just I'm just curious about like. From my perspective, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like, um, the United States is a driver of a lot of horrible things uh, in the Middle East, right? Like a lot of the things that Lebanon has has gone through. Like, if the U.S. was not directly involved, you could argue, you know, through support for Israel through policies, uh, was also contributing to making things, uh, you know, worse, uh, worse there. And and I'm curious, like. How do you like is there is there a thing that has to be reconciled uh in you in terms of like you know I I know you've mentioned like you grew up during during the civil war um and now you're living this really different life where you're running a game studio uh and the and the stresses and challenges are so different and I'm curious if there's if there's a tension there, uh, if there's a strangeness to it, I'm, I'm th- like th- this. This part kind of interests me. It's bizarre, regardless where where I'm from, Rob. Um, my kids are American. Um, they are not Lebanese in terms of like citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard when the kids, like for example, now there's war in the in, in you know in Ukraine, and they talk about things, and they hear me sometimes saying like, "Oh my gosh, when the war was happening with Iraq, no one looked at the refugees that way." You see, reporters are going, you know, like on video saying, you know, "Hey, these are blonde." White mm-hmm. European with a Netflix, you know. Yeah. Uh, that was that was bracing to see. Was it was really heartbreaking, right? It was really ridiculous. And everyone is talking about how horrible Putin is. We forget that the United States launched a war that many call illegal on Iraq after 9-11. And we have today, even though I, I used to uh, be a Democrat... I, I now, you know, just kind of like on the bench. Not that I want to be a Republican. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's just that I'm disappointed in the, in the party. Uh, there's so many, you know, fights inside of the, of the party and they focus on the wrong things and they give us, you know, options that we really are, make it so much harder for us to kind of like pick. But Joe Biden today, he's the president who pushed for the Iraq war. 
Anthony Blinken is the Secretary of State who drafted the articles back then to go to war. Do you kind of wish you were able to raise your family in Lebanon? Oh, yeah. I definitely. Um, it's this beautiful Mediterranean country. And uh, it has these beautiful hills. Um, the water's gorgeous. The people are warm. You almost can't, can't be bored in Lebanon. Um, kids learn three languages right off the bat. Um, <clears throat> um, I dress nicer and like <laughs> to care of myself more. <laughs> the food is better. Um, yeah, Wait, why, do you, why do you dress nicer? Is it, is it just because standards are higher? I have heard yeah, that like the Beirut's very fashionable. Standards are higher, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You feel that I, I dress nicer as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, right now my dressing habits are at all time low, but you know, that's a, <laughs> that's yeah. another question, but I dress nicer and, and weirdly you're going to be shocked, but I have sworn here. I dress like, uh, I wear my short skirts and you know, like it's just where you do that because everyone else is, or, you know, my, my community and we party more. We, you know, like there's a lot more people who it's it's a different beat right at five everything you know is people are supposed to be done with work the weekend people are off and you know like there's just this strong community drive nightlife nightlife in lebanon is like is known to be a thing so you can't be bored and and night nightlife like you don't do the like last call at two in the morning the last call is five six in the morning that's oh when you God. just choose to leave no. and you go have breakfast with your friends <laughs> <laughs> i remember one time we went out to a restaurant and our reservation was what <clears throat> 8 30 or something and we showed up and the place was just empty and we felt embarrassed because we had showed up like <laughs> they're like early. no one really comes at this time like <laughs> Like, yeah. What are you doing here so early? Yeah. Or people will text you and like, hey, do you want to go out uh, this evening? It's like, yes. Should I meet you at, uh, I don't know, music hall at 1130? It's like, what? People meet at 1130. <laughs> I just gave birth to twins. What do you mean? <laughs> you know, you mentioned like when your kids ask, like, is, is America a good guy? Like, have your, have your kids directly asked you that? Yeah. Um, yeah. We talk about this a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I tell them, you have a responsibility to making your country better. Like, it's also, you know, it's the people. Like, you have to choose the good leaders. You have to vote for the right people. And, um, you know, and like, the hardest one of all that I can't answer is when uh, Catherine, a couple years ago, or when, when Joe Biden was running for president, mm-hmm. and she's like, Mom, you said that the president voted to go to war on Iraq. Why are you voting for him? Like because I don't want Trump to win. Yeah. She goes, but you're still voting for someone who declared war on a lot of people. I'm like, well, he didn't declare war; he supported it. And she goes, this is hypocritical. That's my eight year old. <laughs> right. It sounds like a difficult eight year old. Uh, no, but very, she's very awesome, honest. Right? Very they honest. They make us better people. Like I yeah. think I'm better today because of them. You know, like if you want to raise your kids to think and yeah. to um, be empathetic and care, they're going to ask you some some difficult questions. And you know what? Take the time to sincerely look like, you know, inwardly and, and give them an honest answer. Yeah. Yeah. Were these like working with the State Department, were these questions you had to talk like have with yourself a lot of times too? Um. It is 
it, it sometimes I'm like, geez, like who lives my life, right? Like yeah. how how is it possible that I have this type of thinking and growing in Lebanon and then coming to State Department realizing, oh my gosh, this is in the United States. And it's just like this constant fight. I do get tired. And I think it was either Magna, Meg Giants or Rami Smail or someone on Twitter at one point goes, guys, we don't like to fight. We just, we just, you know, have to. <laughs> it's exhausting to be that yeah. person who's always bringing heavy issues to the front. And I'm like, I'm nowhere near Rami and, and Meg in terms of statement publicly. I don't, I don't make a lot of public statements because I really want a break. Yeah. I don't want to deal with shit anymore. Sorry. This is okay. I said this word. I'm oh, sorry. yes. We, we're, we have terrible language on this podcast. Uh, yeah. This is the, the extreme one you're going to hear from me, but I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to yeah. fight. This is my time. I just finally want a settlement. Um, and the, the company is in a good place. I'm in a good place with, you know, with my cultures, with the, with the Lebanese culture too. My dad can finally ask me about what I do for a living. And he's not uncomfortable with the fact that I'm the CEO and Soren works at the company. <laughs> so, very, so I'm kind of like, you know, I'm getting to a better place. I tell say them what, the what they thought of, thought of me to be the, initially. Oh my God. When I told my parents that Soren works, uh, in video games, my mom's, my mom's reaction, uh, not, not directly, but like to kind of sum it up with time through like things she said. And it's adorable. My mom's like, well, he's cute and a good person. So it's like, it's okay. He plays video games all day and you're going to be the breadwinner working for the state department. At least he's, he's, he's a good person at heart and, He's handsome. You'll, like, you'll overcome it. <laughs> she's, she's trying to justify <laughs> what could be the possible reason. I yeah, I'm him. sure there's reasons. <laughs> and I never corrected her. Like, it's kind of, you know, kind of nice that she still thinks that. Yeah. And Lena married him despite <laughs> his job. But what, what do you tell them now? <laughs> oh, <laughs> they, think, they, think, they think, oh, yes. Like, my mom asked, like, why did you leave the State Department to make games to them games is toys like well, why yeah. you know she couldn't get it like you know sworn is a bad influence um <laughs> less pop be less popular on this next trip yeah i mean like the state department <laughs> job you know like the name alone is like ooh, you know it's like oh it's like you know a thing but honestly it's not like really it isn't um it was it was very clear like what foreign service officers go through. They go through the the this like agonizing bureaucracy and and bias and discrimination and you're talking about like people who have gone to these prestigious schools and gotten all of these languages. You pay them to learn languages who are boxed by the department like the, you know if if they know you're a good person, have strong opinions about making your country a better place, they don't promote you. <laughs> well, right. I mean, the story of like, you know, br bringing those allegations, um, the fact they don't want to hear them. Um, oh, go search, go search State yeah. Department, go search for Diplo Pundit. It's this blog that actually records horrible things that happened for with diplomats or by diplomats. Diplo Pundit. 
and uh, you can yeah. find your way into the State Department's, you know, like uh, scandal. Because presumably the story newspaper. is the same at almost any government agency, I would assume. Yeah. You know, it's just these are yeah. places where change does not happen. Yeah. There is a story about this diplomat who actually took a slave in a foreign country. And him and his wife. And it's just a horrible story. It's like there's... Yeah. You know, we see like this birth of series on TV. Uh, like this... You know, like the story about uh, Holmes, um, Elizabeth Holmes, who yeah. started this. And there's a story about the guy behind WeWork and the story. Like, they all come from podcasts or blogs. And yeah. if you go to Diplopundit, I'm betting you something's going to come out of there. Someone's going to option the stories. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Someone's going to. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to end maybe like turns back to the game a little bit. Um, but I sort of wanted to end with kind of a question about like so you mentioned earlier like you know that the community will argue about like which uh which faction is better and such but i think something that has always been in the background of a lot of like forex games specifically but like probably across strategy is like these games tend to the, the the genre has its origins as like the playthings of largely fairly privileged uh, Western centric perspectives, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm curious like how you sort of like do you sort of have to keep that in mind uh, as you sort of create your own work? Is this something like are there things you need to change in your approach to make a game that is maybe more? Uh, not just inclusive, but maybe like more self-aware, maybe less thoughtlessly culturally supremacist than like right. some forex games. I'm curious how you how you how you approach that. Well, I mean, when when I started writing, right by by like organically, I became the lead writer because I started this thing, right, and I started having a vision to how we're gonna approach you know, the narrative design, um, what are our philosophies? And I started kind of like having these things because, well, first I was just, it was just me before we started hiring other writers. So, um, I chose that we start with like women leaders. I kind of was also the art director for 2D art. So I started kind of like commissioning this, these paintings that you see of Dido and Hatshepsut with like different, uh, body, um, body style and different skin color, and uh, there are so many times, so many paintings I sent back to artists like this, this painting needs to be with women and darker skin people. Like, you know, it's just, you know, we're not going to keep on painting the world white. Um, and uh, being, being proud of my heritage, being proud of that part of the world and bringing folk stories that I grew up with to the surface, to the narrative design and kind of make it dilute the the old world from being like this, the center of the world being Greece and Rome, Rome and Greece, Greece and Rome, Rome and Greece. And, you know, um, you know, it started with this Alexander, Xorn had this idea of wanting to make this like game called Alexander wept because Mm -hmm. Alexander, you know, something, what was the name you wanted? Yeah. Alexander wept. Alexander wept. And I'm like, nope, we're not going to name our game Alexander wept because this brat wept when he, there were no, no more, countries he could invade and be an assassin of like nope we're not gonna we're not gonna focus on greece anymore and actually when i was i was doing the uh, the bio for greece i i 
I removed Alexander and went back a generation to his dad, and I started Greece with his dad. I even removed like so so many other leaders of other the, the, these nations, and I replaced them. So um, that took a lot of research, took a lot of gut, a lot of conversation at home, and after I don't know, like I told you, we were separated. I think that old world brought us back together. Um, after like these conversations, talking about the game, you know, it's just kind of things started. Being exciting, you know, pushing for a game design idea was what uh, someone, I think one of the, you know, greatest uh, designers for the genre is kind of cool because, you know, like you're slowly learning that, wait, I'm not super dumb. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm slowly kind of like building this, this argument to push for. And it's not like it's hard either. Like it was so easy to discuss design ideas with Soren. Like, when when um we started digging into Carthage and folk stories because Carthage is Phoenician and mm-hmm. you know like should we go back to Phoenicia because you know Dido is a Phoenician queen or stick with Carthage we chose Carthage because we wanted to go more towards Africa to have more representation so it's it's kind of nice uh that we did this i'm having difficulty with potential campaigns that kind of shed more light and they are less Greece and less Rome and less West. Well, yeah, and- I was going to, I was going to ask you about like the, like so much of the story of Greece, right. Is like Tolton's perspective of uh, resisting Persian tyranny and such, right. It's the, uh, the cradle of Western civilization, uh, mm-hmm. you know, avoiding uh, the, you know, the oppression of the Persian empire. And that's how the story is so often told. Mm-hmm. Um and that's a really that's a drastic oversimplification. It really does a lot of violence to like Persian uh, culture and the and the cultures that were part of of that empire. But like at the same time, people like having the story retold to them, right? Where like right. the where it's where it's the three hundred, and I'm and I'm like I'm like that that's that's an area where like how do you tell the story that like on the one hand people want to hear an experience but also tell it in a more responsible way or like sort of reframe it so you hire an excellent designer like the ones we have like the ones we have on board like we have solver and that's daniels Banaski, and um and he is actually making the greek campaign it's going to be launching when we launch on steam on may 19th um and uh he takes into perspective, uh, into consideration, um, the point of view of other nations fighting Greece, which is kind of cool. This is how, how we want things to be told. Yeah. Um, we dig way deeper. We talk to people from that part of the world and, you know, go by what they have to say as well. Because anything we have, all the information, you know, v- very rarely is it, it's based on a very, like, much a factual thing. History isn't facts. It's a collection of stories. Like if aliens come and invade us now and we're presumed, you know, assuming that we're all dead, they find my phone and go through it. That's what they're going to think history is. Oh, Layla, they had a god named Oliver. Everyone in their family loved him. It's our cat. Like, right? So (laughs) there are so many pictures of this thing. It was their god. It's really history is a point of view. So um, you just, 
you just give the mic to someone else and see what they have to say and bring their story to life. We're doing this like um um if you if you follow me on Twitter you realize I'm like constantly in these spaces. Mm-hmm. Now I go to listen to like Arab spaces. Sometimes it's about religion. Sometimes it's atheists who are talking. Sometimes it's historians. Sometimes it's just people talking about food and culture from different parts of the Arab world. So I'm constantly in these spaces while I'm working. And that's because I want to create the Rise of the Arabs campaign. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm freely saying that because it's such a hard task because they cannot agree on a history. It's true. Like I am having difficulty because some person is considered a hero in another place. They're not because they killed a whole lot of people. And then I'm going to have to tell the story that is pleasant to 22 countries because, you know, yeah. And how much of a religion can you include in that? Well, not much because you, you know, like this is the truth. You're not allowed to portray people who are very like attached to religion you cannot portray like prophet muhammad you cannot draw anyone from the sahaba you know like his his environment at that time because they're considered holy you can't draw them but they were also military leaders so you can't tell their stories so what do i do with the rise of the arabs you know what i do i just continue listening yeah i i do think that it's it is it's interesting to see Fraxis kind of grapple with some of these issues because, you know, it, it's become more and more of an issue. I mean, people weren't really talking about this very seriously back in, during Civ 3, for example. Um, and, you know, going forward, you know, I think that it's, it's, it, it puts, it, it's, <laughs> it's much, it's much more comfortable now to make a 4X about the history of the world. Um, and you know they're they're trying to solve the problem by being more inclusive by hitting all sorts of cultures they they haven't gotten in the game before. Um, but I, you know I think that the hard part is that at some level we have to grapple with this kind of unsolvable problem, which is that the very core idea of a four X is just kind of a imperialistic colonial concept to begin with, right? Like there is there is there is no getting around it that that you know, success or victory or whatever means gobbling up territory, gobbling up space. And, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's really kind of unclear what to, what to do about that. Because if, if, because it's telling, look, it's hard, it's hard to uh, discuss coherently because it's not like we can just, change a couple names and now the problem is solved. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure what to do. We kind of like, we, we were in a fortunate position when you're talking about ancient history. It's not, it's at least at the very least, you know, I think whatever bad feelings there were about, you know, Caesar conquering the Gauls, those have been worked out over the last 2000 years. Um, <laughs> but Ferdinand you know, and Isabella hit differently. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, we didn't have to face some of these things head on, but you know, the, at, at at the end of the day, it's still it's still a game. <clears throat> it's still a game about conquest and 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 plunder, and you know, you know, you know, trying to to take something. And um, it's basically what is the story that we know, and how could it have been? Now that we're hear, hearing it from this perspective, let's make a game about the other people's perspective, like. What if we do this to almost any scenario where, where there's conquest? 
that could be a good game. That'll do it for today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, on Facebook and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Rob Zachney. Uh, Soren and Layla, where should people keep a lookout for word on what you're up to? Um, probably either our website, um, it's mohawkgames.com, or um, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Layla Cat J. And Soren is at... I'm at Soren Johnson. At Soren Johnson. And there's at Mohawk Games, too, for, for our company. Yeah. And Mohawk might change the name to something else because we've been we've been trying and we finally might be successful, but we just can't release the name yet because it's with the lawyers. So Okay. Yeah. Um, like... It, is, it has come up uh, before it, be, it being a appropriative name uh, mm-hmm. in, in some ways. You're kind of like trying to get away from that. Yeah. We've, I've, I've been trying to change the name for the last two years. Uh, we find a name and then we send it to the lawyer and they do the research, come back with like, nope, this can't pass. So we try yep. to kind of stuck with. To well, you can't name names. anything now, right? Yes. Like all, so all the I- names are taken. That's why a bunch of get a bunch of made up names. So we yeah, wanted to like, stick a real to word. Hawk, change the letter. like so we don't sound like someone who just got acquired. So we tried to like Red Hawk, Golden Hawk, Stolen Hawk, Dead Hawk. There's a lot Hawk. of minor league <laughs> baseball teams with all sorts of names. Let's just uh, put that right. Yep. The yeah. well, not anymore. The the league <laughs> took care of that. My, yeah. my River Hawks uh, are gone. We ran out of um, animals and yeah. colors. So our next our next name has. No animal attachment and no colors. We just anything with color and animal is gone. Yeah. So far, I was like, can we just we should just call ourselves adjective animal games? Adjective animal games. That covers. And then, and the then someone down the road is going to be like, God damn it! Someone took adjective <laughs> animal games. I can't believe it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, good good luck. I'm sorry to hear you're in you're in title check hell. Um, we've we we've been there. Sure. Um, yeah. it's it's. I I think we had it easy. Um, I think in the years since Waypoint was founded, it's it's gotten even harder. Uh, mm-hmm. than that. So I'll 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 look forward to what the new name is, and I'll try not to make fun of it uh, too much. Because no, please I know, do. I know it's hard. Oh, we already are. <laughs> we already are making fun of it. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much, Rob, for this nice episode. Oh, thanks. Thanks for joining me, and thanks for uh, being so generous with your time. Uh, for now, we are calling it. Uh, we're calling that a podcast. Uh, we will talk to you again soon. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. 
Code Program.